When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joshua. One day we'll be together. One day. One day. Not anytime soon, but one day we'll be together. <laughs> yes, we are uh, coming once again from the... Um, well, today today we're going to call it the uh, John uh, Lafia, I think is how you say the name. I, I, I will be honest that I'm not exactly sure. Um, L-A-F-I-A, John Lafia. He is one of the co-creators of uh child's play oh okay yeah he is a the writer uh he was a writer producer musician and um he was 63 he died uh i think it was on i believe it was may 2nd it was reported uh so he was one of the people who worked with tom holland and um, don mancini to script the first child's play film so today in his honor we are coming from the john lafia uh, memorial remote learning center facility and lab. <laughs> lab. Zoom uh, but yeah, that was some, that was some sad news in the, in the horror, uh, world, uh, on the second. So, um, much love to his family and, uh, you know, thank you for your contribution. Thank you for, uh, helping birth, uh, Chucky. Who uh, it's kind of appropriate for today since we're going to talk about cooties uh, in in the in the second part of the episode. Uh, you know, little short uh, horrifying things are are fun. There's a you know lots of lots of interesting stuff to talk about there. So thank you, John. Uh, safe travels to the beyond. Anyways, so besides that sad news, how are you doing, Joe? Uh, I'm okay. Um, you know, one day at a time, taking it one day. Um, we, uh, so for my, um, mom's, uh, for, well, my mom is Mother's Day in May and then it's also my dad's birthday. So I decided to do something a little bit different, uh, for their, uh, for their celebration. Um, a friend of mine who, um, is very handy with, uh, tools and, fabricating things. Um, I'm asking him if he can keep physically distant. Um, he's going to, I asked him to make us a, a horseshoe pit in our backyard. Oh. So we'll have a uh, AARP regulation horseshoe pit <laughs> in our backyard uh, by next week. Um, I'll post pictures because it'll be fun. Yes. Um, you no, know, it's a nice way for them to get outside and promote, you know, that plus, 
we have the space in the backyard. It's not being used for anything, so we might as well do it, right? Yeah, hey, I, I, sure. Why not? You know? Yeah. This is a good time to be doing projects like that. The Sam Squanch got uh, like 50 or 60 bags of mulch delivered and has been working outside doing things, um, you know. And what are you doing? Overseeing? Watching. I'm not doing <laughs> any of that. Uh, yes, he, he he's fond of using the term we, which I just consider the royal we. Yes. He, he himself. Not the literal we. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but he keeps saying, we're going to do this. I'm like, oh, are we now? <laughs> this is an interesting way to talk about oneself. Uh, <laughs> but it is looking nice in the front. Lots of fresh mulch everywhere. Nice. So are you yeah. putting in Are you putting in new plants? Are you just... Putting, I don't know. Just okay. letting him do his thing. Okay. Yeah, he's figuring it out. I don't... I, you know, I, I mean, I kind of had... I like the way our our yard looks because it, it kind of looks like something out of Tim Burton or some sort of alien landscape, you know, because we yeah. planted all these succulents. They just kind of went wild doing their own thing. They have things shooting out of them and blossoms in different ways and different they're directions. Different, they're and, really cool colors. Yeah, they're all um, yeah. different. It's just this insane alien landscape, and I really like it. It's, you know, fun. But he's like, nope, it needs to be controlled. So he's working that out. <laughs> Uh, while we're on this, uh, you know, this this ongoing uh, wor- working from home, you know. So he does, I think, a little bit in the morning and then he, you know, go, does meetings and things and he's doing some in the evening when it's cooler. So I might go out and help one day, you know. Like point. To exactly. That he yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, the front yard, that's the front yard, but you got a whole backyard, too. Yeah. Um, how close are you to getting an indoor pool, uh, an outdoor, like, above-ground pool, or, like, <laughs> inflatable pool? <laughs> I didn't realize how cheap they are. They're not that expensive. So mm-hmm. I keep joking. I keep sending links. I'm like, I could buy this. I could buy this right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, they are pretty cheap. We definitely could. I mean, our backyard could also sustain that as well. So, um, you know. But, I mean, it might be fun to get, like, uh, one of those uh, slip and slides before anything else. Yeah, why not? Shoes and slip and slide. <laughs> um, I uh, will just say it because it needs to be said. Um, I am three episodes, no, two episodes behind on Drag Race. Um, okay. What I what I'm enjoying is like uh, letting them save up and then having like a gay day where I just go through them and you know uh, I moisturize um, because I'm you know not going outside. I should be still doing that anyway in my old age. Um, but I, uh, yeah, so that's been fun. And then apparently, um, I need to be watching the celebrity one. Um, if not for the guests, just the guests alone. So there you go. That's, that's I have a race update. Yeah. We recorded the, um, the, we're recording the celebrity ones, but I haven't watched them yet because as I suspected, uh, you know, they kept going A-list celebrities. I'm like, oh, like who? And <laughs> then when the review of the first episode came out and it was a big, uh, uh, the, the three, the, the people on the list, it was a big who. Uh, I had no idea who any of them were. <laughs> And uh, I suspect a lot of other people did not either. Um, but I mean, maybe not, probably not, because I'm just not as in touch with like, you know, CW culture as, as uh, others may be, um, which is fine. Watch all, watch all that you want. I'm not judging. I just didn't know who these people were. 
And, uh, so I didn't care. You know, I'm not that I thought they were going to get like, you know, I don't know, Brad to come in and, and be put in drag. Um, though I bet he would look pretty, you know. Oh yeah, he'd be um, pretty, pretty. You know, or like Johnny Depp or, you know what I mean? Or even, you know, finding like women and doing drag king stuff or whatever, you know, I didn't think it was going to be like truly like, you know, I thought they would be people that maybe I would recognize, but I don't know. I, this whole season, there's been judges on there that I'm like, I have no idea who these people are. I'm just out of touch with like mainstream stuff, I think. So anyways, well, that's how uh, you know it's gone mainstream, mainstream cause you're slowly, you're not realizing who the judges. I mean, like, yeah, like when, when it, it's so funny because, like, I start to know more about the judges as the seasons go on, and that just shows how, like, I am in touch. But at the same yeah. time, like, I had to, like, I didn't know who Dita Montes was. Oh, uh, I love her. Yeah. See, yeah, I didn't know who Dita Montes was. I didn't know all of these, like, um, all of these, like, really niche people that, like, also supported Rue and were part of that scene, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I have a, I have a big fan of Dita Von Teese. I have a big crush on her. She's gorgeous. She's such a beautiful woman. If I was a woman, that's probably, I would want to dress like her, and, mm-hmm. you know, she just has this aesthetic that is so cool, um, and she just seems very sweet, so um, anytime you see interviews and stuff with her, she just seems like a cool person you want to hang out with. Um I just watched some old video architectural digest showing off like her house and it was so neat, you know, just all the cool stuff she has and, you know, but not to have like a Dita Von <laughs> love fest, but I do, en- I do enjoy her. Uh, yeah. I, it's just like anything else. It's like the Grammys, like, you know, the longer and longer it goes, you know, each year, the more I only really know who they're tributing <laughs> or like <laughs> who has died or they're giving some lifetime achievement award to. I'm like, Oh, I know who that is, but all these people, I'm like, I have no idea, you know, or if Madonna goes on or, you know, somebody who's like, you know, these pop culture icons that of course, you know, anybody knows, um, generally speaking, anybody knows, um, otherwise, yeah, I'm, I'm totally at a loss. I just, I have no idea who anybody is. So (laughs) the video Vanguard award for MTV, you know, every single person. Right. Exactly. Those kinds of things. Yes, I I do. I do. Cause it's like, Oh, I, I still listen to when that person puts out new records. (laughs) Um, so other, you know, it's so funny. It's like, there's really, there is like nothing going on, you know, it's like, uh, it's, I've been doing the same, like, you know, the same things as we've talked about each week, you know, just watching, you know, old episodes of six feet under and, uh, uh, that's, that's been it, you know, I don't know. You, you finished monk yet? Uh, I had to take a break from Monk. Okay. Um, because as one does, you know. as one does. Um, it's such a it's such a silly reason, but um, I'm taking a break from Monk because I just started the third season, and in the third season, um, one of the original cast members exits. So I wanted to kind of prolong my because I love her a lot. It's Biddy Shram um, as his assistant, so I want to prolong it as much as possible. So I I started rewatching. Um, Another old favorite show of mine, uh, probably my third rewatch overall since this since the series has been on streaming um, of Ugly Betty. With oh, um, I saw that. Yeah, yeah you were talking America about America Ferrera. Yeah, um, and the show. Oh God, the show doesn't hold up. Like it does not hold up yeah. with its cultural references. And I mean, it. We're get, we have like Rebecca Romaine as you know. Spoiler alert for anyone who's never seen Ugly, Ugly Betty. Rebecca Romaine 
plays the um, the brother of one of the main characters, but like he faked his death in order to transition. Um, okay. And there's a lot of like, ooh, it's they they use the T slur with like liberal abandon, and I'm just like, this is not good. And yeah. you know, this is this is supposed to be one of those shows that like you know was a Glad Award winner type thing, and you know it when it when it lands, it lands very well. Like the landing, it sticks it, but like just those little parts, and you know, it's all done for the joke. But I feel like. It's so interesting to see how like how television does it now and navigates everything now, where it's like you can still have these types of things and still not and not be um, and be mindful and be more mindful of other people's experience. But I mean, like the fat phobic stuff, like I already knew because it's about fashion. It's a fashion magazine, right. so all of that fat phobic stuff is already kind built of, like, into so that it, culture. Exactly built into the culture. But like the transphobic stuff was very jarring, and ha- and just like they'll use it, and it was just like a cold, like cold water in the face. Uh, but I have to say that one of my favorite things about the show is how just like unapologetically black Wilhelmina Slater is, who is Vanessa Williams's character, and just you know like it, it, you can tell that that's one of the motivations of the character. Like it's very. It's very nuanced, even in her, you know, diabolical portrayal of this person. So, um, yeah, I've been sending, I've been like, I've been like, uh, these, she'll say like these really cool one-liners and I've been like taking videos of them and sending them to TJ. <laughs> Cause it was like, oh my God, I didn't realize. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's been my show to rewatch while I'm working, uh, right now. And then I did start a new Netflix show. Uh, called hashtag Black AF. Oh yeah, with uh, Kenya Barris and Rashida Jones, mm-hmm. and that's another show where it's just really smart, and like it's it's so fascinating how meta it is, uh, especially yeah. about Kenya Barris's life and how critical he's even being of himself and his role mm-hmm. in like mainstreaming Black consciousness. Yeah, 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 yeah. Performing Blackness. Performing blackness. Yeah, yeah, that's. I watched the first episode of it. I want to get back into it. I just, um, I was in between something. Oh, class. I was about to start class. So I watched the first one and I really liked it. And then I don't remember if it was TJ. Uh, shout out to TJ. He's been on our show before. We adore him, uh, Professor Teej. And um, somebody shared an article about um, Rashida and mm-hmm. her blackness, quote unquote, you know. Um, and talking about i don't mean quote unquote as in is she or isn't she black <laughs> personally but but the article was about it was it was analysis of like of that whole thing you know of when is somebody black enough or not black enough or too black or you know it, it was just very it was a it was an interesting read uh, so i really want to get back in and, and finish watching the show because um i want to I want to understand more of that analysis that was coming out. Cause it was referencing things that I haven't seen yet, you know, in the show or with yeah, her. TJ and I had a, well, TJ had, you know, he was telling me a little bit more because he, because like Rashida Jones as like a, as a, you know, mixed race, mixed race black woman. Um, and TJ also being a mixed race black person as well. And like that kind of the nature of her blackness in that sense where for yeah. so long she passed, um, 
for so long she passed and um and now like being a part of the show and kind of like you know people are seeing her in this different light because it was not ever it was never a way that she like had that ownership over her blackness before like she's not like you take like a tracy ellis ross who you know can't pass as white um but who is also similarly mixed race as well so yeah it it it's very fascinating and i i if you find that article can you please send it to me because i started the first episode going into the second and i i was like oh my god this is i did i've been neglecting watching like new premiering shows like current things yeah and and I, this is probably going to be my entryway into like starting to consume newer seasons of things because yeah, I was like, Oh, that's right. Cause I, these are, this is more current. So this is, you know, talking about the world that we live in now. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, and it's just something that obviously like not being a person of color, like, you know, the experiences of like colorism of, you know, or of, um, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for. So I can't believe it just left my brain. Um, (laughs) it's okay Uh, representation jesus oh that's that's one to leave your brain i know it's like my i had it and then like left when i started to say it you know but you know these conversations and and concerns are not something that like you know i for all intents and purposes am a white person so you know my identity is you know reinforced you know in so many capacities and every you know and as a cis male um, you know, so it's just always interesting, you know, cause I watch it and I'm like, um, this is very interesting. And I don't think I've ever seen, you know, this sort of Frank, uh, personally, I'm, there's probably other, you know, conversations out there in media, you know, about portrayals of blackness, uh, you know, but personally, it's not something that I, I have been hyper aware of for my personal experience. You know, obviously I hear people and I listen to my friends and what they say. And, and, and I have a lot of great awesome people of all walks of life who critique, uh, pop culture and media. And so it's just, um, it's something that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in, in seeing more analysis of it, uh, particularly mm-hmm. with that conversation of like, you know, if the show's talking about blackness and then there's people going, well, she's not even really black. <laughs> it's just like, it's a very interesting mm-hmm. dynamic. Um, so just understand where the analysis is coming from. But um, what was I going to say? Yeah, there's not uh, – well, there's some news. Uh, I'm very excited. Did you see the Jordan Peele, J.J. Abrams Lovecraft Country trailer? Yeah, yeah. I'm very excited uh, for that. Uh, we were watching it, talking about it. Uh, it looks very interesting, and I really am excited continuing this uh, co- connection to having conversations, difficult conversations around race and, um, like, Lovecraft, obviously – has had innumerable, you know, influence on science fiction and horror. And so to to have a difficult conversation about also his racism and the other isms (laughs) that he, that he, um, uh, wrote from and and spoke from, I think this is very exciting to have this come. Was an awful person? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think so. I think, again, also a product of his time, like a lot of people, not excusing that at all, you know, but I'm just, you know, I mean, just honestly, you know, people feel comfortable being monsters when society allows you to be, you know, mm-hmm. um, so he was just another person who, you know, um, subscribed to the ideas of, of the time. Um, 
uh, along with adding his own. So, yeah, I, I think there's something very, very interesting about telling a story kind of using these Lovecraft tropes, uh, but to tell, but to speak to like black experience in the fifties, I think is really, mm-hmm. can be, it's, it could be really, really good. It's based on a novel, uh, which I had that information here and then it left because I was jumping around. Um, oh, I remember, I it's, um, it's I, Mar- I remember, Matt Ruff. Um, Matt Ruff Matt wrote Ruff, the book. Okay. I remember uh, Mike on his first interview with us um, talking about it specifically and how yeah. he was very excited for the adaptation to come. So that'll be nice to um, maybe watch it and uh, get Mike back on the show and uh, yeah. talk about it then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure when it's going to premiere. I was just trying to look here. Uh, oh, August. It's supposed to come out in August, uh, which is good. That means it was already probably finished. Because uh, a lot of shows are interrupted right now, films, everything. You know, I don't know what the the, the schedule is going to look like. You know, over the next, depending on how long this you know goes on, uh, you know, what film and television is going to look like when we're going to see some of our favorite shows return. Because you know, the whole schedule is going to get pushed. So things and that are supposed mean, to premiere now are going to be much later. Oh yeah, there was there was like three very. Um, I forget, a Hollywood Reporter just did it. It was, um, there were like uh, movies that were supposed to premiere um, in the summer that have been pushed back an entire year. Yeah. Um, And it's so interesting because like we will see, we'll see the shift in this. Um, We'll see the shift in entertainment and how it relates. And that's been one thing about Ugly Betty that's been interesting is because they do reference, um, they do reference the economic crash um, that happened um, in 2008. So like they, um, when the crash happened and that that's something that's referenced, especially being a part of like print media and the scarcity of money and cutting costs and all that stuff. Um, you know, the rise of internet culture and internet media and new media, and then the, the fall of print. So that's something that comes up in the, in the show a lot, um, uh, fairly often as a plot point. And so it'll be interesting to see how um, shows that are taking place in the current time, um, in the current time frame, are going to address that. Yeah. Um, and then what uh, art is going to be made, not only right now being distanced, but also like, you know, to reference all of this. Um, I imagine there would be a lot of nice uh, horror films that are going to be coming out of this as well. I mean, I've, I, I just keep thinking about like, man, you can do something where it's like, you know, no one, a horror film where no one's allowed to be within six feet of each other. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I am curious to the anxiety that this has caused, you know, what sort of uh, artistic response at all levels uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm kind of excited by that as I'm always excited to see how that we, how we handle that. I mean, that's the foundation of this show is horror as an expression of that particular, particular anxiety, that particular need uh, to tap into uh, cultural consciousness. Um, I did want to uh, jump back real quick. Um, so on uh, Literary Hub, there's an article. You can look this up. We can't ignore H.P. Lovecraft's white supremacy. So if you're listening to this now and you love Lovecraft and had no idea about this because, you know, uh, lot, there's lots of reasons that this stuff is hidden from us. Because uh, recently he was uh, there. They used to give a bust of him for a literary award. I can't remember which one. And they stopped doing that a few years ago. Uh, but. You know, just a little, a little sliver of of some of the letters he wrote. Um, which uh, this is a quote from this article: "Overflow with anti-Semitic conspiracy theories of an underground Jewry pitting the economic, social, and liter- literary worlds of New York against the Aryan race." 
Uh, he warned of the Jew who must be muzzled because he insidiously degrades and orientalizes the robust Aryan civilization. And remarking on Hitler, uh, that his vision was romantic and immature. I know he's a clown, but God, I like the boy. Uh, so, <laughs> um, and that's just that's just the anti-Semitism. There, the next uh, article goes on to talk about uh, his his thoughts on uh, African Americans at the time, uh, and he does not use that word. Uh, so you can imagine, um, and lots of comments on uh, lynching and whatnot. So, anyways. Ooh. Yes, lots of problems with H.P. Lovecraft. That's why I do really want to, uh, maybe that would be a good time to do that when that uh, um, series debuts. I really do want to do a dive into some some films inspired by Lovecraft and unpack some of those uh, anti-Semitism and racism and we can, uh, you know, study that. So that could be really fun while, you know, people are watching that show and, and kind of, uh, you know, giving a, a thought to the legacy of H.P. Lovecraft. So uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is if you haven't, I strongly suggest that you check out uh, Elvira's uh, Facebook page and Instagram or her social media because she's doing hilarious Carol Baskin spoofs. Uh, and they've been a lot of fun. If you just need a break and a laugh and you're kooky and spooky, uh, there you go. You've got Elvira never letting us down. Uh, just I did want to throw that out there that she's... Uh, They've been really funny and fun and ridiculous. She's doing the whole, you know, like, hey, you cool cats and kittens. <laughs> if you're watching Tiger King or have watched it, dear listener, uh, she's doing a whole spoof on that. And it's pretty, it's been pretty amusing. Just little one minute, two minute clips. Just a nice laugh in the day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Uh, I'm still resisting uh, that whole tiger king thing so you know okay well that's all right it might not make sense to you (laughs) it may it may not but i mean you know it's worth it just to see cassandra do something right like yeah do absolutely uh the other thing i was gonna say i'm gonna post uh we'll post a photo on instagram but i wore my lovely um female gremlin don't get her wet t-shirt today from horror movie night uh, yeah. So I'm going to post a photo, uh, our friends over there at the, uh, at, at the, at the uh, Horror Movie Night podcast. And they have a store if you want to support them. I, you know, if you've listened to them because of us or you found us because of them, because they've been awesome friends to us, awesome uh, support. Uh, HMNpodcast.storeenvy.com. They've got t-shirts and all kinds of cute things. And you can find the Greta Gremlins tea. It does say it's a ladies tea. Uh, I don't care about things like that, so I ordered. Here's a construct, tear it (laughs) apart. So I ordered a, uh, I ordered just a large one, and I wear a nice jacket over it, and you know you can't tell. So I just wanted to throw that out there, little a little plug for our our friends, and they're you know with us on this. So you know if you can support, if you have it to give, please buy local, buy from your friends who have businesses, uh, you know, chip in, give, give what you can. Uh, and this is a way that, Hey, you could support them and get a fun t-shirt. So, or yeah, stickers or they have other things too. If you're someone who is a convention goer and you'd have your favorite artists or your favorite vendors, when you go to, con- con- go to cons, you know, a lot of that is not happening this year and everything's canceled. So, but you know, those, those vendors, they're still, they still have things to sell. So you, it's good good for you to just go and take a look and see. Um, One thing I would like also like to plug too, so we're doing a little plug of Palooza is um, Midsummer Scream. They have these really cool um, save Halloween t-shirts. 
Yeah. Uh, these safe <laughs> Halloween, um, cause Halloween, I mean, this year is the year where like, you know, all the holidays fall on the proper day. Right. So like Cinco de Mayo is on a Tuesday on taco Tuesday, Halloween this year, there's a full moon and it's on a Saturday. So we're trying to save Halloween by being socially distant. So please, 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 um, stay inside, but also, um, you know, save the con by buying their t-shirt as well. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. I love that. Um, and, and whatever it is you're trying to support. So, and hopefully you're all staying safe, uh, you know, wash your hands and wear your mask and all of that. Uh, I would implore everybody to be cautious. You know, everybody has, you know, lots of different feelings, political, social, you know, financial, there lots of conversations are going on. Lots of worry, lots of anxiety, lots of concern for the future. And wherever you fall on that, you know, I don't want to um, shame or fault. You know, I get it. People want to go out. People want to see their friends. They want to see their family. They want to hug people. It's in our nature. Um, so I just beg you as somebody in the healthcare system and seeing uh, the ravaging effects this is having, uh, you know, just be cautious, be careful, you know, do what you're going to do uh, for yourself, you know, for your, you know, whatever your choices are going to be. Um, but you know, just be cautious, please try to consider others who are immunocompromised and, you know, you might be healthy, but you might be carrying it and giving it to others. You know, please do try to keep that, uh, you know, our community in mind, your community in mind, uh, think about the person that, uh, think about the people that you wouldn't want to sacrifice, you know, others don't want to sacrifice either, but if you do go out and about, just please be cautious, be careful. So that's my little I don't PSA. know what that was. Yeah, that was my PSA. little PSA <laughs> for that. Yeah. Uh, you know, take care of each other. Be good to yourselves. All right. So with that, any any other things, Joe? That's it. Just All you know, right. I miss you, Joshua. We're I miss not, you too. The, the episode's not over. But, right. You know, We're just I, having that moment now. Uh, I'm sure it'll come up again in the next part. But all right. So we'll be back to talk about Cooties 2014. That's why I don't have sex. It's not because of my face or my general attitude towards human beings. The thing is that they don't refer to any of these things as murders, which is the most amazing part. It's always referred to as a disappearance. There's fucking blood filling the back of a truck. That was certainly nice of me, wasn't it? Huh? Same set as Casper. Um, <laughs> what? Is that really? No, but I would believe it, actually. That wouldn't shock me. I can't imagine that there's a ton of castles that Charles Band has at his disposal. <laughs> that frog is going to bang Roddy Piper. Nope, she's <laughs> just one horny toad. <laughs> Justin Lund just screamed that he's a fucking walrus for so long. He keeps yelling cuckoo-cuckoo and shit. <laughs> Join me and Matt as we discuss some of the worst of horror every week on the Horror Movie Night Podcast. Listen at HMNPodcast.com. All right, welcome back. So today we are, I feel like maybe how a lot of parents or teachers feel like right now, you know, we're like eight, eight some weeks in, eight or nine weeks into this uh, whole thing. And it's like the kids are just like, can we just watch this as our school thing today? And it's like, why not? Sure. (laughs) What do I care? What does it matter? Uh, so when you, when you brought this movie up, Cooties, uh, 2014 horror comedy, uh, I was like, (sighs) I just, 
I didn't have I didn't have the energy to argue if I thought it was worth talking about on this show. <laughs> However, watching it, watching it, you know, I took a whole I have a whole page of notes of the little things. Okay, there's plenty there's plenty to discuss. You know, things that echo back to our child's play conversation. Uh, you know, things that you know just about the this the terror of little tiny children uh, in general, even when they're not zombies. So we've got. Kind of a cool cast here. Uh, the film is, let's see, directed by Jonathan Malott and Carrie Murnian, uh, and with the screenplay by Ian Brennan and Lee Whannell, who did Saw, you know, along and with um, Invisible Man. Yeah, lo- exactly. Oh my gosh, precisely. Go you. Uh, I'm you learning. Know. I'm learning. <laughs> Uh, but we got Elijah Wood, Allison Peel, uh, Pill, Allison Pill, uh, Rain Wilson, Jack Mabrayer, uh, Nassim Pedrad was fun to see. Uh, Lee obviously pops up into it. Uh, Jorge Garcia. Uh, this so yeah, fun cast, um, silly folks uh, about uh, you know what happens when uh, children are infected by a viral plague of some sort that turns them into zombies. Uh, so what did you think, Joe? Um, well, this was a fun one um, because um, when I suggested it to when I suggested it to Joshua, I said, you know, this will be one of the handful of films that we do on the show where I've actually seen this yeah. before. Um, this is a post fright school film, but I've definitely seen it not for the show. Like it was just something that I watched. Um, on my own, which doesn't really happen. Like I don't really, really, I mean, horror comedies are probably the more likely, you know, thing that I'm going to watch, but um, definitely not horror in general is my go-to. So I have seen this and I, why, remember thinking, why did you, why did you watch it? Do you remember? What, what um, uh, Elijah Wood. <laughs> That's fair. And that was what I was going to assume. Yes. I mean, you, uh, what does that read? You wrote you, <laughs> you read me, wrote me girl. Um, yeah, so Elijah Wood, and then, like, then, like, I watched this, and then we went to our first show um, at Monster Mania, and then I found out that Elijah Wood was in the remake of Maniac, mm-hmm. right? And then Elijah Wood, I saw recently, uh, when I was, I just, like, watch trailers sometimes for, like, an hour on hour, two hours, and I saw that he was recently in another horror film as well, and I was like, oh, I guess Elijah Wood is kind of this, like, you know... Um, like this, you know, like sort of low key, like horror star, horror horror film star. So it made me think about that a little bit. I was like, okay, cooties, you know. But that's pretty much the reason why. Plus, I love um, I love Nassim Pedrad. I love Allison Pill. Um, and that's why I those those are the main reasons why I watched it. Um, I'd love. It was also in the faculty. Oh yeah, and he was in the faculty too. Yeah, he's been in you know several horror horror related things so this could be you know our our start of an elijah wood appreciation um elijah wood appreciation unit who knows um <laughs> joshua is not having that uh, um, he did also found the production company spectre vision uh, i'm reading that uh, uh produced the greasy strangler and a girl walks home alone at night so that's uh you know hey that's some good uh some good stuff there well at least girl i have not seen the greasy strangler but sorry good continue um, and I also thought that this was a really cool, um, this is a really cool take on the zombie film, right? Mm-hmm. So one, it's primarily daytime. So it's primarily daytime horror. Uh, two, it 
where the you we realize in cooties that the virus only affects um people who have not gone through puberty yet so children yeah Yeah. and so you see that um you see that play out and then also just like you know it probably taps into a lot of people's fears of you know having uh rabid children (laughs) and those anxieties yeah uh reminds me a lot of a hotel um ahf hotel uh yeah no definitely i yeah again you know when you first put this out there i was like oh my gosh horror movie night's gonna like sue us for like (laughs) like stay, stay away from our fun films that we make fun of um but I don't know what, you know, watching it, I, it, it, in the end, it was really fun. I, I thought it was, uh, silly and, you know, a good time just, you know, is that kind of thing. You know, I don't know if I'd watch it again, uh, but I'm jumping ahead, but yeah, my first, um, my first few notes. <laughs> so I watch everything with the, uh, subtitles on because it just, I, I just do a better job of, of getting a film when I can read it, I guess <laughs> the opposite of you. And, uh, yes. <laughs> so I like that the, uh, the, the, uh, captions had like the music, like triumphant music, uh, dramatic rock music. I just thought that was really funny. And then, uh, the, the, so the conceit of the film is that the, there's some kind of virus. It's like avian flu type of deal. Like I, I'm guessing, you know, that it's in birds, that these chickens, it's some kind of virus that gets, they get turned into chicken nuggets and then the children eat it and they, you know, become these, these monsters, but it was called happy poultry farms, which I thought was really funny. The box because <laughs> the place, I mean, the guy that first comes in, it's so gross and creepy and all the, all the chickens like these, this, these, there's no such thing. I think as a happy, uh, poultry, poultry farm. farm. Yeah. The whole the whole idea of that. Um, I heart honesty. That was hysterical when he was asking his mom for advice. And it, it just says happy poultry farms, LOL. I heart honesty, LOL. And then finally, Rain Wilson, LOL with an exclamation point. Cause his whole character is just ridiculous. And so like against type, uh, which I thought was really fun, really interesting, uh, you know, to see him kind of played that sort of role. I don't, I don't know a lot about Rain Wilson. I haven't seen a ton of stuff. I know he was in, uh, what is it? The, uh, the, the office, uh, the office. Uh, but I mostly know him because of like House of a Thousand Corpses. Um, he did that superhero film, Super something. Uh, mm-hmm. Super, so, I don't remember. But it, um, and there was something else I was going to say. It's that, and then, oh my gosh, it left my brain. Anyways, usually he plays an episode uh, of Monk. <laughs> uh, yes, he was in uh, Six Feet Under. You know, he plays like, but kind of always plays these sort of geeky awkward type of people. So to see him play like the coach of like, or the PE teacher uh, and that whole scene where he couldn't put like a basket, like he kept trying to (laughs) just hilarious where he's like, he's the only adult on the playground. He's like, come on, come on. Yeah. 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 Uh, So those, my first few notes were just like, LOL, this is, this is fun. You know, it, it, it turned out to be a lot of fun and it did make me think of things. It, it brought up, you know, thoughts on, on, on children and, um, you know, things like that. So, <laughs> uh, I think that the, the scariest like five minutes in the film are the opening credits, just like the most disturbing five minutes opening yeah, credits gross. ever, um, yeah. which, you know, I mean, like they, they probably got away with that because like, that's, 
exactly what happens. Like <laughs> that's the process of making a chicken nugget. Um, and also the other reason why I brought this up is because I think it's very topical and not to, you know, not to drag everything down, but I think it's very topical when you're talking about, um, you know, federal orders to, for meat plants to remain open in this yeah. time of, you know, the pandemic and, you know, our uh, food supply chain and all of that stuff. So I, I didn't want this to be like a huge conversation about that, but I do want to recognize that this does bring up that, um, it does bring up those questions about like the safety of food. And I actually, <laughs> I thought for a minute, I'm like, you know, who would, you this this film probably would make a lot of people turn vegetarian just those first five <laughs> minutes alone yeah um or, or scare the bejesus out of anybody who didn't know that that's how you make chicken nuggets um but yeah like it was very it was a very interesting thing to think about and that's the other like topical reason why i wanted to bring it in plus i mean we're like you said we're dealing we're in a part where we're a time where where a lot of kids are being uh schooled at home because you know you can't have these uh um, you can't, ha schools are not open. So it was a nice also nostalgia for the times when you could uh, uh, pick your kids up at three. <laughs> no, I think that's all brilliant points. And you're absolutely right. It's so interesting. We're kind of going back and, um, you know, been watching all these different movies that like apply to this time frame. you know, and that, that this idea that we, and again, you know, they echo like the Black Plague concerns, the Spanish flu concerns, um, Ebola, Mad Cow, like all, you know, all the avian flu and SARS and the swine flu and uh, West Nile virus. I mean, obviously, there's always, you know, these kind of concerns of of, of massive pandemic, of, of loss, of death. You know, those are, they're in there. You know, they're in our consciousness because they are, they're in our history. They're, you know, um, within our DNA. Uh, so, but it's still interesting to watch it and be like, Oh my gosh, this is like now <laughs> that, that conversation about when it's like the meats, like what you're talking about with uh, encouraging meat factories to stay open when the workers, you know, could be sick, are sick, are, you know, it's, it's, it's not great. Uh, so it's a very, um, that's very, I mean, I like that connection is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> So I did, yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, uh, lead with that when I, cause I wanted to bring it up and, you know, bring it up in the show and have that conversation. Yeah, um, absolutely. I do appreciate that. Um, I do appreciate that we have like a, a character of color that doesn't die. Right. right. <laughs> the, the boy. Um, and then. Um, I also just love like Nassim Pedrad playing this like really like conservative woman who, um, and then of course, Jack McBrayer, like, you know, all of that stuff. It's a very ensemble cast. Um, and it's so funny to think that like, um, it, it was funny because like Rain Wilson, I, this is a joke that I didn't catch the first round. Uh, Wayne Wilson makes like a very, uh, heavy handed Lord of the Rings reference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't catch that the first time. And w like, just having to remember that, like, yeah, this is like Elijah Wood was a part of this huge franchise in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. And, you know, he's here he is doing like all these cool, like, you know, this fun, campy horror film. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think of, uh, okay, so. Curious about thoughts of uh, of what of what the you know 
movie. It just kind of, I was just sort of like writing as I was going, and I always it, it always interests me uh, films that examine teachers as like people. And I know that we we have kind of a loose plan to talk about education and horror in the future. Spoiler alert, uh, that's coming. Uh, but I'm just curious about you. Like, when was the first time, like, you really realized, like, that teachers are people? You know, like... <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you know, because growing up, like, you know, when you have those professors or those teachers, or not professors, I, I would say this is more of something before you graduate high school, you know, where, because, you know, unless you lived in a really, really small town where your professors or your teachers or whatever live there, you don't see them out and about, you don't run into them in the grocery store. I ne- I never did. I think I one time, I ran into a teacher in public in like my whole of like pre, you know, like pre 18 year old like self. So it's like, they were always these like fictional creatures and mythical creatures in a way, you know, they come in, they teach us and then they go home and like, all they do is think about us and think about teaching and they don't do drugs. And they're certainly not buying shrooms or getting offered shrooms by the uh, crossing guard who I felt really bad for, you know, cause watching it when he bought the shrooms and he was taking them, I'm like, this is a, Oh, this is a bad idea. He just didn't know it. He didn't know it was a bad idea. So I felt really sorry for him. But anyway, so just curious he about your experience. He just stayed right there and just like tripped balls the entire time watching <laughs> watching everything. Um, to answer your question, I actually know the exact moment um, <laughs> that I realized that teachers were people too. Um, I was in fifth grade. My sister's fourth grade teacher um, Mr. McCarthy, this was on Guam. Um, we were at the grocery store and we saw him, um, we saw him leaving. He had just, uh, like finished getting his groceries rung up and was about ready to leave the store. And he was carrying like in one hand, like a sack of groceries. And in the other hand, a like 24 pack of, uh, that mad dog beer, the red with the red, with the red uh, dog on it. Yeah. I remember thinking like, Oh, I guess like he drinks beer. I remember feeling so scandalized that like this man who what for all intents and purposes, I heard nothing but good things about was a really good teacher. And like, he was like leaving the store with beer and like, you know, my parents don't, my parents don't drink. So it's the, the alcohol was never something that we had in the house growing up. It was always something that at parties, um, no judgments, you know, on anybody, but just like, it was never a thing that we brought in our house. And so to yeah. see him that, and I was like totally scandalized by that. <laughs> um, so that was like the first moment. And then like going, it, it's been interesting, like becoming, having graduated high school and then like still remaining like friends with people, with, uh, friends who used to be my teacher like that that's been an interesting relationship too um just because that you know that that separation will always exist but it's been nice to get to know them as people and it's adding like more dimension to oh like so they were really trying to like give us this type of experience or what have you um yeah but yeah, I mean, I, I totally see that like we, it's so funny because like we, you know, having this conversation about teachers as people is something that we're also dealing with right now in the quarantine times as well. Yeah. Where like, you know, parents are realizing that I think there was that Shonda Rhimes tweet of like, you know, teachers deserve to make a billion dollars because she's having to homeschool her kids. But at the same time, like, you know, teachers who also have children 
um, who are trying to like teach their children, but then at the same time teach other people's children. And this idea of like, you know, this teaching as this like selfless vocation as opposed to an occupation and realizing that no, like they deserve to have like this living wage and, and not um, put, you know, they work so hard to give their kids so much, but they also should be compensated as such. So, yeah. Oh yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Absolutely. That's a great point. Um, yeah. Yeah. We've, we've got to figure that out as a society, you know, who we are uh, holding up and who we are, um, who we are deifying in society because <laughs> it's not the right people. Um, I remember being, I think 15 or 16 and I had a friend who would sneak into gay bars um, underage and he saw one of our teachers there that one. And you kind of had that whole moment of like, huh? <laughs> you know, cause it's like, it wasn't a teacher that like, I, you know, I would have ascribed a sexuality to, you know, it just mm-hmm. wasn't, some, you know what I mean? You're, when you're, teenagers, you know, are really, I mean, some people never grow out of it, but you know, you're so self-absorbed and so focused on your own life, you know, that you just, you know, you don't really think about it. Maybe if you don't have like a crush on a particular teacher. So it was kind of like, it was interesting, but I was just like, yeah, whatever. But once I graduated and then I had friends who were teachers, um, that was kind of funny because you're out, like you're getting drunk with somebody. It's like, you have to go teach children in the morning. You have to go be in, <laughs> in a classroom full of people, you know, or you like share a joint and you think they never do that. You know, like I never pictured teachers growing up that were pro- may have been doing drugs, you know, or, or whatever, you know, drinking, partying. It was just this whole interesting thing of like, oh, they, they have these whole for- fully formed lives. You know, not everything is about, you know, because I just think it's like for me. I think doing this job is very, very particular, you know, do it going out and teaching children and, and wanting to be there every day and wanting to like guide the youth, you know, whatever it is that, that pushes people. I kind of picture them all as like the Allison pill character, you know, how she's just very like sweet. And, you know, I loved her little, like the lost boys, they're not lost. They're vampires. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> she's just so sweet. And you just kind of picture everybody's like that. Like, I don't picture her character. Like she has a big breakdown in the end where she's like, I fucking hate all of you. And it's a great moment for her. Um, I wrote Lucy with a few um, uh, exclamation points. Cause that in that moment, cause it was just so wonderful of like, you know, you all fucking suck and the whole world is shit. And, you know, but it's like, uh, but up until that moment, you just picture like, yeah, she's like the perfect kind of teacher and everybody's like that, you know, and they go in and they, you know, so they don't have, they're not partying and doing other things it, it, it just as a construct. Um, but we know that's obviously not true, Yeah, <laughs> but it's just um, something I was thinking about. Yeah, it, it and and you bring up a you bring up something that's really interesting about uh, talking about uh, teachers who are like LGBT. Um, one of the comedians that I follow, um, uh, Joe Dombrowski, um, also known as Mr. D, he uh, rose to the consciousness because he was the one who did the vocabulary test, the fake April Fool's Day vocabulary test that had Relaska talks on it. Oh, okay. Um, and. You know, there it's been interesting kind of like following him on social and then um, also um, following him on social and also like seeing how like when he's gone from like a new job at a new school, how they've also embraced like their LGBT, not only LGBT teachers, but also LGBT students in general and to kind of see how that plays out. And there's like this whole like other world of um, like 
like teacher influencers, but like a lot of them are like LGBT and how they express themselves and their queerness within their classrooms has been really interesting because it's that like bit of representation that, you know, they wish that they had, like, you can totally see like, oh, I wish I had someone who like, let me be me at this time, or maybe they were given that permission. And so they are just those remaining examples. But then at the same time, like, you know, um, also seeing how, like, also seeing him, like, you know, go out and, like, explore drag. And, like, I think my favorite post of his was Halloween a couple years ago. He was a drag Miss Frizzle from the Magic School Bus. Yeah. And, like, knowing that, like, you are a teacher, you have that public persona, you, there's probably students that are following you. Um, so, yeah. So, like, that's been really interesting to see that. Um, but, yeah. Like, it's been, that's been, it's been interesting to see, like, how LGBT teachers, especially in, like, the Instagram social media space, are navigating their, both those identities. Um, and, and in, in my view, um, you know, it's not apparent what compromises they're making, but are still, uh, very unabashedly, uh, expressing their queerness. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's very interesting, you know, as we continue to evolve and change, um, you know, how that, uh, that cultural, uh, you know, with like the, the expectation we have of teachers, you know, to be, to not be politicized or to not, you know, it's like they have a very particular life. So as we're changing, um, it's interesting to see that develop, you know, and somebody mm -hmm. like him being able to remain successful and to be able to remain teaching. And I'm sure he's got detractors. I'm sure you can go to the comment section and find plenty of people who want to know why he's allowed around children, but that that is slowly changing. And, you know, we're kind of getting away from that. Um, I remember years ago being kind of mystified. Uh, Melissa Etheridge, she had done a, this was after she came out, it was like 94, 95. And she was on like some children's show playing this song and singing to kids like the green grass or something. Thing. And I thought about how revolutionary that sort of was to have somebody being an out queer person uh, being so celebrated around children and then being on like Sesame Street. She was on there and that that was kind of mind blowing to me at the time because it just I didn't know if we would ever get to that kind of place. And obviously there's lots of politics around that, um, you know, I, I do, you know, with like lesbians versus gay men and you know, there, there are lots of cultural social uh, critiques you know, around, around that. But I still, I think it's kind of amazing that we're getting to those places where you can have a male teacher. Um, there's, there's more safety than there used to be in that, you know, cause it's one thing to have like a lesbian. It's one thing to have a mom, you know, a woman that has kids being a lesbian, go on television and sing to children. It's another thing to have a, a male in drag, you know, just culturally conscious, you know, the, uh, the, um, the fear that lives in some people around that, I think it's kind of incredible. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, but more, you know, sure. Uh, okay, so let's get down to, because uh, we've, <laughs> we've been talking a while here. Uh, let's get down to talking about, again, this idea of like, why, you know, why creepy kids? What is up with uh, terrifying children? So for me personally watching this film as somebody who um, has, like, it confirms all of my fears about <laughs> children. Uh <laughs> Like it gets at a deep seated thing of like, Oh man, like I'm just kind of like, I do not want to be in charge. And I was thinking back to, um, my brother's wedding and the morning of the wedding, 
you know, everybody's getting ready and they're, you know, doing different things. And my mom realized I was staying with my brother at his, at his house, but he had left already to go be with like the, his wedding party, the groomsmen, all of that kind of stuff. The bride was gone. She had spent the night with her best friend, you know, to do that whole thing. So I didn't realize that like I was in the house with just my mom and my, all of my sister's kids. Uh, Holy shit. Yeah. Um, young, very young children. And my mom's like, oh, I'm going to go run and get grandma. I'm going to go pick her up. And I was like, okay, fine. And then she's like, can you watch the kids? And I'm like, what? <laughs> I didn't really realize that I was the only adult in the house. And so suddenly I was with, I can't, I think it was four, four children, all under the ages of like 10 at the time, 11 at the time. Um, and it was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, you just kind of, I just, you know, it's in those moments that I realize I'm not like, I don't, I don't want to be a parent. Uh, I have ideas about it. I have, you know, there are moments where you go, oh, it'd be cool. We talked a little bit of, on the last show or the show before about like Mrs. America and how cool it would be to be shaping some young mind around, you know, feminist thought and, and, and intersectionality. Uh, but but still all the other stuff comes with it. And so watching this, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like all of those fears come together. <laughs> about like, I'm now at the mercy of this little mini army of children. <laughs> and they're all talking and they're all pulling at different things. And, you know, they're fighting with each other. And I'm just like, you know, one is screaming at the top of her lungs because the other found some kind of toy. She had two of them, two of these toys, and she was keeping it from the other one. And I was just like, if giving her one will stop that noise she's making give it to her. <laughs> Stop this, this screaming and fighting, you know? So it just, I, I don't know. I just watching this, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, this is all my fears about children. <laughs> well, like children are these like little balls of need, right? They need, yeah. they constantly need things. They yeah. need you. And I'm there, a big ball know. of need. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you need things to, you, they, they need you to be, you know, make sure that they don't, uh, they get be kept, kept alive. So, yeah, I mean, like, I, I'm indifferent about, like, I'm indifferent about, like, being around kids. I feel, like, for me personally, it's just, I just don't want to be responsible in the event that, like, you know, some something happens in in their play, they hit their head or something like that. And I, I, I just don't want to be there. I just don't, you know, I don't, I'm not insured. I don't have <laughs> Like, I'm not the bonded to this. Of that is, yeah. I mean, it's it's scary, you know. People that are home now with their kids and they're there all the time. It's like, oh, I have a lot of heart for them. <laughs> I, I I do as well, and it's you know, I I can't imagine. I'm at a point where like I've I've said to you know people over the years. Every time someone asks me if I want a kid, I always say like you know, okay, well that's skipping a couple steps for me. Let's, you know, let me wrap around the fact that I would be like, you know, in a long-term committed relationship with someone and, you know, because I'm not raising kids by myself, that is, you know, people people who do that, you know, more power to you. But yeah. like, I just couldn't imagine doing that without a partner. I can barely take care of myself on my own. Um, and that being said, like now, you know, I'm in, um, I'm in this relationship with, uh, with uh, my Jimmy Kins and we're it's been interesting to kind of revisit that conversation, at least in my head. And I'm talking about this. He, he listens. So he knows I've, we've, we've had this conversation. This isn't new information. <laughs> yes. Please don't <laughs> surprise him with this. On our exactly. Show. This is like, Hey, do you want to have kids? This is new information. Um, and, uh, we, it's been interesting having that, re- having those uh, revisiting the re- revisiting that again because I've never felt yeah. like that desire, that burning desire to like be a parent. Um, but 
I have like every time I'm around children, I'm like, I like the idea of like what you said, like, you know, teaching and passing down of wisdom, of tradition, of culture. So I, I like all of that in theory, but I don't necessarily know how that would be. Um, I, I don't necessarily how it would be if I had to be like 100% responsible for them at, at, at all times. Yeah. So, yeah. And beyond it, legally, it. you know, it's like, it's in every facet, like you are responsible. Uh, but that's why it's kind of interesting. So I'm looking at, um, hopesandfears.com and they have a, uh, they have an article. Why are there so many creepy kids, dolls and clowns and horror movies? So we're just going to focus on the kids part of this conversation. Uh, cause I think it's very interesting, you know, why we, find children so terrifying uh you know why why there's such an effective horror element uh you know there's this uh the there's a quote in here the appearance the appearance of pint-sized fiends in horror films evokes the darkness of a juvenile psyche that remains mysterious uh, mm-hmm. And so they have all of these different, uh, it's a collection of directors, writers, uh, actors uh, talking about this, this trope, uh, including Joe Dante, uh, direct, you know, director of Gremlins. Uh, the creepy murderous child trope goes back to the bad seed. Uh, and then we have, you know, Goodnight Mommy and the Boy. And it's, there's this interesting, uh, what he's saying is, could it be connected to the fact that more and more parents have difficulty balancing work responsibilities, child rearing, elder care, and are squeezed financially by the cost of raising children and taking care of their own aging parents? Therefore, is it any wonder that children in genre movies are portrayed as powerful, disruptive, and uncontrollable? Uh, perhaps these menacing Moppet movies, that's fun, menacing Moppet uh, movies. Ooh, that's a good one. Reflect the fears inherent in helicopter parenting, that the minute you take your eyes off your child, something dreadful will happen. Uh, or maybe they're just aliens, like in Village of the Damned. And then D. Wallace echoes or, or uh, offers up children innocence. So the more they stray from that, the more frightening it is uh, for all of us. Uh, for innocent energy to be taken over is the gravest abomination the world can reap upon us. Uh, adults are expected to be corrupt and evil in a way. Children are the last hope for good. <laughs> uh, so I just wanted to throw some of those, there's more and we can kind of continue talking about them, but I wanted to get your thoughts on that, on why, why are, yeah, the horrors of children. <laughs> well, I like, I like the conceit of the, of what the person says about like them being the hope and, and talking about like the yeah, dangers of the helicopter. from the howling Cujo, um, the helicopter parenting. Um, I feel like, Children, sorry. I feel like with children, it's always been that same, the same, uh, the same reason why Christmas holiday horror is always um, unsettling. It's because of like the innocence and the safety um, that uh, they're supposed to bring, and so like you know, seeing seeing creepy children means that at some at some point the uh, some point their parents were not able to keep them safe. And, you know, and we're not able to be, um, and they are like corrupted for whatever reason. Um, at the same time, you know, the other fear is interesting. It's like you have you that feeds into like a parental safe, uh, parental fear, anxiety of like, you don't know what, how your children are going to be when they grow up. You can do as right. much, give them the tools as much as necessary, but you don't, you don't know how they're going to be if they're just going to be like a little asshole, like that, like the one kid in um, Patriot in uh, Cooties. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. 
or, you know, you can only hope that they're going to make the right decision. So, so seeing that and to seeing those both play out specifically with like, uh, you know, menacing Moppet movies, uh, God, we're going to keep using that. Um, <laughs> I, I think Muppet movie. menacing Muppet movies. Um, I think that that's something that's interesting. And think those are where the anxieties and the fears um, are and why, and why they're so effective. Yeah, absolutely. I like, there's a, a, another comment here from Don Keatley, PhD, associate professor of English American literature, the Gothic horror media, blah, blah. Uh, he says that in, in many ways, children aren't quite civilized people. They're unpredictable. Uh, we never know exactly who or what they are or what they're going to do. We don't know if they quite have empathy yet or if they're going to play by social rules or even know the social rules. They're kind of anarchic forces and anarchic forces make great horror which I really love that kind of concept, you know, because I think that that is sort of what, to me, there is like this deep, like, when I am around children, I, I'm not sure how to behave personally, because I don't have them, I don't see them a lot. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I'm most of my friends that know me, you know, they're not quite tearing down my door to babysit their kids, <laughs> you know, so it's like, I don't have a lot of opportunity around them. So I just kind of feel, you know, because it's like, I, it's like you do, I expect them to behave like uh, adults, you know, and you can't really do that. You know, it's like, I, <laughs> like again, with my sister's kids being over there and like, you know, we're watching a movie or I was doing something, reading something. It's like, I'm trying to read this. And this child is just talking and talking and talking. She won't stop, you know, and she's not going to stop. And she's not interested in my, um, <laughs> in my, in my, uh, uh, disinterest, <laughs> whatever it was she was talking about, um, you know, and I'm, you know, it's, and that's, I mean, it's, trying to navigate that, you know, and mm -hmm. trying to na like, si like expecting civilized behavior from children is insane. You know, like that's, you know, to a certain extent, you know, if they don't yet have that knowledge of like, you know, Oh, the adults are having a conversation like when, you know, or, or, or we're doing this or that thing. And they're like, no, like we're all going to go see a movie and that you have that one kid who's just bouncing off the walls and leaving and talking and getting up and running around. And you're just like, okay, it, what, what do you do with that? It's this uncontrollable force. So taking that energy and that concept and putting it here where it's very real, we're going to turn these kids into zombies. And it's just like this great, like way, like, cause like that kid Patriot, it's like, oh my God, kill him now. Don't wait for him to zombify. Like, yeah. just just punch that kid. And that's horrible. And I don't mean that, obviously. To like, you know, but it's like, ugh, his parents. Find his parents and punch them in the mouth. <laughs> it's, it's not a good, this isn't a civilized, I'm talking about being civilized and this isn't, this isn't a civilized answer. But it just puts all that in there. And then there's like that, this kind of, I don't know, like revenge fantasy element to this film where you're watching these adults like knock these, ch these terrible children over. Like uh, all the children he like interacts with for the most part are horrible. Like the girl he bumps into and she like goes off on him that, you know, the kids in the class and they're being mean to that girl and they're beating up on each other and just, and their, their language. And, you know, it's like all the things you'd want to do. Well, now you can cause they're zombies and you have to, you have to kill them. <laughs> Which, like, you know, again, in horror, like, there's an element of wish fulfillment of, you know, yeah. of, of that catharsis. Um, one thing that I thought was really strange was, like, there is an odd sentience to the zombies. Like, having Patriot be there, like, like basically tearing out phone lines and shutting off power, like, 
terrorizing it in, in, in a way that I've, I've actually never seen in a zombie film before, like seeing that kind of level of sentience. So it's interesting to watch. Um, it's interesting. That's another interesting thing in the genre, in terms of the genre, where it's like, okay, they, um, Walking Dead portrays them as like, you know, just complete, like, motivated by hunger and by the and by their hunger but right. this one was like very calculated um tactical measures which kind of plays into that idea about like you know kids kids who are are children but they know way too much so like with patriot like you know i can just tell that like, his first interaction with um clint uh, elijah wood's character in the in the film where he's talking about like oh i could um i could just say that you touched me and you know blah 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 right. and who cares what you think i have the power here and it's interesting cuz it's like oh yeah you know they not only do the kids have that kind of power, but they also like outnumber the teachers significantly. <laughs> so, you know, there are all of these extra elements of anxiety and danger that come, that come to play. Well, yeah. And again, that's very interesting. Um, you know, cause of his, his character, he talks about being, you know, named cause of September 11th and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something else that it was interesting, you know, analyze and from this article is talking about like, um, Children, even though they've been part of, a, you know, like there is, there is, uh, there are films where a child is a murderer or is, you know, is a bad thing. Generally speaking, they're not. They're, they're, uh, in horror, they're possessed, you know, by an outside force. The, in this film, they get a disease, you know, they get, they get a virus that turns them into zombies, you know, a lot of times. Well, although this is a little different, that's what I'll get at in a bit. But with films like The Omen, you know, Damien is bad because he's the son of Satan. It's not like his, his control. Um, mm-hmm. You know, or in Pet Cemetery, Gage is terrifying, you know, but he's also the victim of, of, of an outside force, a, a decision made by his father uh, that's, that, that goes you know, against nature. And so you pay for that. You know, you pay the price of that. And it's not that Gage is inherently evil. Uh, so until, like, really the late 2000s when more and more, you know, um, you have, so you have, like, September 11th happen. And, again, our idea of what is good and what is right uh, I, I think these, I think the, this movie comes out of that. I don't think it's any, um, uh, what do you want to say? I don't think it's co- a coincidence that this mm-hmm. character exists within the film, because I do think it does speak to this, like nothing is sacred, nothing is safe feeling that we had coming out of September 11th. And that has, uh, echoed in horror over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but with this film, because of that knowledge and because of the way the kids act, there, there is, there is an inherent thing. There is something that they've been taught by the society around them to behave this way and to be quote unquote bad. And then they become zombies. You don't feel that bad about, <laughs> you know, the film gives you that permission, you know, to, to cheer at these children being off in various ways. In various ways. <laughs> Uh, but I, I just think it's very interesting. Uh, you know, there's a thing here. Um, r- early representations of horrific children are indicative of fears of the younger generation on a long, uh, on a broad level being surpassed, taken over, rendered irrelevant. On another, uh, uh, on another level, there's a fear of being a bad parent, making mistakes, not being able to control your past or presence. Um, you know, I, I think that's 
that is that is also very interesting. You know, there's this idea that people have kids so that they're like immortal, you know, mm-hmm. but they also will outlive you and that they'll go out into the world and they'll be full fully realized people that you might not like. Yeah. <laughs> and there's that kind of, that also that fear and that um you know, which I think is, you know, acceptable. Everybody has to, if you decide to have children, that's something you're going to wrestle with. Yeah. And it's interesting when it's so, it's so drawing to me in any media where, um, where there's, uh, where there's an acceptance or it, there's a recognition of child or parent as a full human being and not like explicitly the function, like you are a child, you, you know, as your, as your parent or as your child. Um, and that has been, that's always jarring to me because like I, um, I even struggle to think about like, you know, what my, <laughs> what my parents or grandparents would have like as full human being, uh, people like, cause they are, but like, you know, seeing them as these, like, you know, exclusively from that lens of, I am a child looking up at my parents. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a cool thing that gets played with. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much more in this article. And again, you can find lots of discussion on, on, you know, this idea, like the Moppet, I mean, that really is a thing, like, you know, horror of whether it comes in a doll form or a child or a clown, something that's supposed to be fun uh, and innocent and, you know, represent hope, you know, when it, and it, when it gets warped by in horror, uh, there's lots at play. And I think it really does speak to our individual experiences. Watching this movie as a parent, I think you'd have different feelings. Watching it, you know, as somebody who never has kids or doesn't want them, it's, you know, a different experience. Uh, I think there's a lot to kind of pull from this. In the end, I mean, I really first thought, ugh, what are we going to talk about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they really did bring up a lot of thoughts for me. So I'm glad that we, I'm glad that we, I'm glad that you chose it. And I think that we'll continue because I, I, I really want you to see Children of the Corn. I'd like to show you Village of the Damned. Uh, there, there are some other films that play with this, this notion. So this was a really good uh, way to kind of have some of that conversation. Awesome. Yay. Good choice. <laughs> Yes, very good choice, Joe. So, all right. Uh, anything else? Any other stray thoughts? Um, I did like the F for F you. That was funny at the end. Like, hey, kids, F for F you. And then he lights them all on fire. Uh, I don't do brave stuff. You know, word. That's that's good in the apocalypse. You know, yeah. the brave get blown up or eaten. <laughs> the the Ritalin uh, throwing the Ritalin. Oh, yeah, no, there was definitely some. See, we could. I mean, we could just go on and on. This film had a lot. Um, yeah, I had I had written that down. Uh, it's my notes are so scribbly, as you can see. Um, the 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 that whole scene. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is too real. <laughs> well, like I mean, you know. It, kids on Ritalin on Adderall, you know, report those feelings of like feeling like a zombie. So it's like, it's so funny. Like that's what's being used to help them escape. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was a brilliant little, yeah. Social, uh, social commentary there. So yeah, overall it was really fun. I'm glad that you showed it to me. Uh, I'm glad that you thought of it because again, we're trying to, you know, have a little fun in this ongoing time, not watching things that are too, uh, too creepy, <laughs> too anxiety inducing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I do have some ideas for some follow-ups for this uh, that we should watch. Definitely. You should see and kind of continue this conversation. There's, there's some good stuff to mine here. All right. 
Yeah. Well, I can't wait. Yeah, me either. All right. Well, uh, what am I doing next? I'm going to, uh, I might, you know, it's funny. I might watch Steel Magnolias. What do you think <gasps> of that, Joe? Ooh, I'm here for that. <laughs> it was uh, coming on, so I recorded it to watch for later. Thought I'm I would here have, for that. I thought I'd have a glass of wine and watch that. I've been trying out new recipes. Oh, good, good. Yeah, I might make a blueberry lemon buttermilk kaflouti. Nice. I made that um, cinnamon roll scone that our friend who may come, I don't want to say his name because he may come on the show soon, but he had shared it and I I made it. It was really tasty. Ooh, okay. Cinnamon roll scone from from the New York Times. Yeah. Oh my God. The New York Times cooking staff, they, it's been, because like, you know, they're all at home, so they're all having to generate their own independent content and that's been a real fun thing to watch and like, they've, they've been doing their best to, you know, okay, this is, you can make this at home. Yeah. This is what you should have. Awesome. You know, not everyone has Mirin, (laughs) but. Right. (laughs) But some people do. They absolutely do. I do, for instance. Um, all right, Joe. I adore you. I miss you. I'm looking forward to being back in the uh, in the studio. Hopefully, one one of these years. And uh, <laughs> I adore, miss you have a you good too. night. Give my love to everybody and uh, to you, dear listener. You know, stay safe. Keep yourself. Uh, be cautious and. Um, Keep on listening, like, and subscribe, and share us. Tell people about us. Follow us on Instagram. <laughs> the important things in, in the apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> yes. All um, right. I'm going to have some chicken nuggets. Enjoy. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.